This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I'm diving back into IDW's Power Rangers comics and tackling the sequel to Shattered Grid. So join me as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Power Rangers Necessary Evil. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is celebrating 30 years of the Power Rangers. Um, this is kind of wild looking back and thinking that the Power Rangers have turned 30, and they are turning 30 this week. As you are listening to this, you can go onto Netflix and watch the Power Rangers Once and Always special that reunites a lot of the main cast from the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers show. I know I will be watching it and I hope you do too. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this as you may or may not know. Last year, I reconnected with the Power Rangers love in my heart uh, due to uh, checking out and reading the Power Rangers comics while I was laid up after my surgery, right around my birthday. And um, I've been in love with them ever since, and I've been waiting for an opportunity to cover the next story in the saga, uh, and I'm really excited to talk about it today. It's our latest Geek Explained Spotlight, the first Geek Explained Spotlight of Volume 6, and it just makes all the sense in the world. It feels correct to have it be Power Rangers themed. Uh, if you want to go back and check out the episode where I covered Shattered Grid, that was a tremendous story. Um, it was a looser uh, Geek Explained spotlight because, again, I was still in the middle of my recovery following my surgery, and so it wasn't as structured as I usually make the Geek Explained spotlights, but I had a ton of fun recording it, and I had a ton of fun reading this and rereading this for this episode. So I'm really, really excited for you to listen to this, and I'm really excited to share this discussion with you. The Power Rangers comics are a are, I think, one one of the best kept secrets in comic books right now. Um, everyone knows about the Power Rangers, but they don't know that there have been amazing comic books, especially in the last few years. So I hope that if nothing else, with all the Power Ranger mania going on right now, it more or less inspires you to go check out these comics because they rule. And I think more people should be reading them and more people should be talking about them, period. Um, there's also some really cool stuff going on right now. Uh, I got an email today that I'm very excited about uh, that hopefully I can talk about pretty soon here. But um, I'll keep you in suspense for now. But it's it's uh, it's a pretty cool thing if it ends up working out. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, I've also been replaying the Guardians of the Galaxy video game because I'm right in the midst of Guardian Mania. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing, but I've been really enjoying it. I haven't played it in a couple years, and it's just as good, if not better, than I remember it being. So, real fun stuff. Really enjoying that. There's not a lot of, like, big news that happened over the past week, so I'm just kind of doing, like, a quick check-in to let you know what's going on with me. Um, I am very excited. Uh, this week, I believe, uh, Horizon Forbidden West is getting their... 
I don't know if it's their one and only, but it's definitely their first DLC, so I'm excited. Uh, Burning Shores takes Aloy out to my neck of the woods, uh, Los Angeles, where she will uh, deal with some stuff and hopefully fight a dragon coming out of the uh, Hollywood sign, so that's fun. But I think the biggest thing I'm really excited about is that uh, Once and Always Power Rangers special. I'm excited to see what they're doing with it. There's a lot of rumor, a lot of speculation going on, and we do have Cosmic Fury coming up. So they might be weaving in some stuff that lead into Cosmic Fury, since apparently that's going to be, I guess, taking a lot of bits and pieces from throughout Power Rangers lore. So we'll just have to see. As I'm recording this, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm very excited. And I guess that does it for the uh, the check-in part of the podcast. So without further ado, we've got a lot planned for you this episode obviously our first geek explain spotlight of volume six we also have a wild card weekly review because i wasn't aware that the flash went on a mid-season break and i had to fill the time so i'm very excited to share what i'm reviewing this week and of course we have this week's comics countdown where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week so make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that but for now let's roll right on into the main event the main course, the entree, if you will, as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Power Rangers Necessary Evil. Power Rangers are officially 30 years old. And it's kind of crazy when you think about how much the Power Rangers ruled the world 30 years ago. When I was a kid, the Power Rangers were everything. They were everywhere. And now, 30 years later, we are seeing a reunion of sorts with the Netflix special Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Once and Always, which brings back a lot of the original cast from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series and tells the next chapter of their story 30 years later. And to celebrate that, we are diving back into the IDW comics, a hidden gem, if you will, of independent comics, and one that has been working tirelessly to give us incredible Power Rangers content. And specifically, we are going to be talking this week about Power Rangers Necessary Evil. This is the latest Geek Explains Spotlight, the segment where every month I take a look at a specific comic, graphic novel, limited series, or what have you, and tell you about why it rules. And this this is basically a sequel of sorts to the Shattered Grid episode that I did back in August around my birthday. And I... I love that book so much. I love Shattered Grid. It is something that I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life. And I had a lot of high hopes for Necessary Evil. And after reading it, and after rereading it, I can safely say that I love 
this story. I don't know if I love it as much as Shattered Grid, but I absolutely love Necessary Evil. So we're going to be talking about it, some things I liked, some things I thought could have been done a little bit better, and all of the character beats. There is going to be some spoilers, so just be aware of that, and uh, let's get off to the races. But before we get into it, some context, right? If you are unaware, if you are, you know, if you haven't listened to the Shattered Grid episode, a quick recap is in order. First of all, go listen to the Shattered Grid episode. It's lovely, and I absolutely adore it. But Shattered Grid was a story that brought together every single ranger across the multiverse to battle Lord Dracon, an evil alternate universe version of Tommy Oliver who combined the powers of the green and white rangers, took over his world, and was looking to take over the entire Morphin Grid. And the Morphin Grid being the Essentially, the access to the multiverse, as well as all of the Mighty Morphin powers. He was ultimately defeated after shattering the multiverse and shattering the grid. And through the efforts of our main cast, everything was set right. The universe and the multiverse was reset, and only a few remembered what had transpired. There was also a short series, which was basic, which was called uh, Power Rangers Beyond the Grid. I decided to skip that, even though I do love it and it features characters that I absolutely adore, because this one is a little bit more big time. It was the culmination of both the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Go-Go Power Rangers comics that crossed over for Shattered Grid and also not only crossed over for Necessary Evil, but ended their runs in both the event and the aftermath of the event. And so you get, just like in uh, Shattered Grid, a parallel uh, a parallel narrative, though this one is a little bit more focused on how the events tie together. In Shattered Grid, the Go-Go Power Ranger stuff was, I felt, very separate from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers stuff, and that made it a little difficult to recommend a reading order for both. Um, I actually looked up a reading order for Necessary Evil, and if you can, I would recommend it because there are certain story beats that I do think benefit from having a proper reading order. Now, this comprised of, as I said, the essentially back half of both the Mighty Morphin and Saban's Go-Go Power Rangers comics and feature not just the fallout from Shattered Grid, but also the next steps into the future of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Now, in the story of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic, we catch up with present day, where following the events of Shattered Grid, all is back to normal. Uh, Tommy now has the power of the uh, White Ranger, and is leading the Power Rangers in stride with three new members, Rocky, Aisha, and Adam. And I really love how whiplashy this kind of feels, because There aren't a lot of, if you didn't watch the original show, there aren't a lot of, um, there isn't a lot of room to breathe, let's say, with, wait a second, we just had this gigantic confrontation, this big clash, this big crossover, and now we've replaced half the cast. What's going on? If you remember in the 
Mighty Morphin Power Rangers TV show, halfway through the show, they decided, okay, we're going to change up the cast. Uh, Jason, Trini, and Zack are going away, and they're going to be replaced by these new characters, Rocky, Aisha, and Adam. And the decision to do that was, in my opinion, weak sauce. They're going to Sweden or Finland or whatever to attend a peace conference and that is what takes them away we have three brand new rangers that come from another valley and here we are here's your new cast what i love is that in necessary evil we get that story so in the modern day everybody's trying to figure out what it's like to be new rangers um Rocky, Aisha, and Adam are trying to fit in. Tommy is getting used to being a leader. And we have Kim and Billy who are just kind of caught in the middle and not really sure how to feel about everything because they feel abandoned by their friends. Meanwhile, we get the debut to the comics of Lord Zed. I absolutely loved Lord Zed way back when. And having him finally show up in the comics was really, really cool. And by the end of, you know, the first act of this story, we're introduced to a bunch of new characters, including the bounty hunter Dane, who is ripped straight out of, like, Lost Galaxy and in space, and it very much has that vibe. And we are also given a hint as to what is going on with our three missing heroes who it is revealed are on another planet which gives us the story of the omega rangers which takes place mostly in uh the gogo series which deals with the direct fallout of shattered grid and everything going into what is the next chapter for the Power Rangers. And for those of you who aren't aware, Gogo was the Gogo was the book that took place in the first couple of years of the Power Rangers stories, where he's the Mighty Morphin series was more modern day. It was a kind of a time skip situation where it was two different narratives telling stories that sometimes intertwined, sometimes didn't, but did share the same continuity. So Gogo tells the story of Tommy losing his powers as the Green Ranger, feeling listless, getting ready to leave the Power Rangers and leave the city for good. Where he's Jason, Red Ranger, is confronted by the Emissary, which is this this manifestation, this guardian of the Morphin Grid, who reveals to him, hey, y'all fixed the Morphin, you know, y'all fixed the multiverse, y'all fixed all the damage that Dracon had done. However, the Morphin Grid is now fractured. It is now leaking out, and people are being connected to it without a the the uh, gift or the um, the privilege, let's say, of a morpher. So they are just getting these powers, don't know what to do with them, and Jason and eventually Trini and Zach get swept up in this journey to 
find these people who are manifesting powers and bring them back and either teach them or imprison them. So what ends up happening is Gogo becomes the Power Rangers X-Men story. And I really, 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 really dig it. I love the story that we get here. Uh, I'm also just a huge fan of the Omega Rangers, both their design, their power set, their zords, which are uh, more humanoid looking, even though they're more or less built off of the designs or the uh, the looks of an ancient race that predates the Morphers and the Power Rangers. But all the while, while this is happening, we see them starting to, you know, lose, not... They don't lose the zeal for being Power Rangers, but they get this idea that, look, there's bigger threats out there and things that we need to deal with. Because we can't just keep playing like we should only be using our powers to protect this one corner, this one tiny fraction of a corner of a galaxy. And so they have to lie to not just the team, but also to Zordon, to Alpha, and in so doing, they have to recruit Rocky, Aisha, and Adam. And what's really cool about Necessary Evil across both Gogo and Mighty Morphin is that we get to see characterizations for these characters that we didn't really get in the original show. Uh, the trio of Rocky, Aisha, and Adam were introduced so late into the show that they kind of all felt more or less like cookie-cutter versions of the original trio. And it didn't give them a lot of room to grow or become characters before the changeover to Turbo and everything that came after that. But what I love in this is that we get personalities <laughs> to to make a, uh, a very complicated and long story short. We get actual characterizations and arcs for these three characters aisha is headstrong and she wants so bad to be a hero and to prove herself that at times she overcompensates and comes across as domineering or uh, disrespectful to the rangers who were already established and so she clashes with kim she clashes with other members before finally settling into being able to trust other people and not feeling like she has to take all of the pressure onto herself. Adam, we get to see trying to build himself into being a useful member of the team. He doesn't have a lot of confidence and is still trying to kind of figure himself out. And so he is looking to the example of Zach and he has this great conversation with Zach later on where he's like, I am trying so hard to be you and I suck at it. And Zach has to tell him, well, yeah, I tried the same thing, trying to be as good as everybody else, and I sucked at that. But I have a role just like you have a role. And the story for Adam is him trying to find his place. And then Rocky is just a big soft boy. He's just he's just a he's just a little guy who is just so happy to be there and he is trying so hard to fill the shoes of the Red Ranger who traditionally leads the team. But being that he is now on a team where the White Ranger is the leader, he doesn't know where his place is and he is overwhelmed by the legacy 
of being a Power Ranger. And so the story is about him trying to feel worthy of the role and just getting the that additional, you know, that additional uh, character development, those additional arcs for those characters goes a long way in endearing them to the audience as well as to their team, which I really appreciate. So we get to see, you know, Kimberly and uh, Billy trying to, I guess, uh, provide Peacemaker while also trying to be mentors to these trio while our original trio of Jason, Zach, and Trini are trying to accomplish this new role of seeking out new people connected to the Morphin Grid and trying to figure out whether they are uh, hostile or friendly and trying to figure out where to go from there. Like I said, I love the Omega ranger designs i think they are the coolest and if there are ever action figures or anything like that i will be getting them day one trust and believe uh i really appreciate also the world building we get to see the omega rangers go out into space and explore more of power ranger space which is maybe my favorite space setting because of just how wildly it varies throughout the galaxy of how much cultures and physical appearances and powers change throughout the vast expanse of space and they get to have a really fun sassy butler he's not a butler but uh i call him z i don't know if that's the correct way it's it's spelled xi i just call him z but he is the sassy robot sentry who was also uh, entrusted with this task by the emissary and he does not appreciate that organics are being uh, tapped to be kind of the tip of the spear of this operation and so he's constantly just saying smarmy things and undermining undermining them and it's just really fun to have that dynamic to have essentially an alpha that is not a fan of the rangers and if you are someone who would get uh, annoyed by alpha's constant ay 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 and not really providing a lot of uh benefit or uh contributions to the main power rangers team you are going to adore z which brings us to our final member of the Omega Rangers, and possibly my favorite character out of the whole thing. It is very, uh, it's tough, because Jason continues to be my favorite character, as he always has been ever since I was a little kid. But we get introduced in the uh, Go-Go arc where uh, Jason, uh, Trini, and Zach are figuring out this whole Omega Rangers thing and trying to, you know, their early days still, having just left for their quote-unquote peace conference. And they are, they encounter a girl named Kaya, or Kia, however you want to pronounce it. I say Kaya, um, but she is blessed by the Morphin Grid with phenomenal power, and eventually they bring her in, and she becomes the fourth Omega Ranger, the blue Omega Ranger. And she... <sighs> she rules. She's so cool. She is the badass alien member of the Omega Rangers, and having alien members on the Power Rangers always works. 
except when it doesn't. And she is just the coolest. It's really in the first arc of the uh, Mighty Morphin portion of this, we get to see Kaya in action. In the Go-Go, we get her origin, we get her meeting the Rangers, her becoming the Blue Omega Ranger, and here we get to see them after some time has passed. There's a short time skip where they, I think of maybe like a year or something, where they are figuring things out, and they are the Omega Rangers, Omega Now, Omega Forever. And the Omega Rangers take their powers from the elements, Right, so the Yellow Ranger takes power from the Earth. The uh, Black Ranger takes power from the air. Red Ranger obviously takes uh, power from fire, and Blue Ranger takes power from water. And it's fascinating to me because Kaya, who is the Blue Ranger, manifests her power as lightning. And so it's interesting that she becomes the Blue Ranger, which is aligned with the water spirit. But we see in this uh, in this opening arc the introduction of Garrison Vox, who is another empowered, who is a tyrant and a bully. And when the Omega Rangers drop in, Kaya is like, oh, I got this. I got him. And Garrison Vox has this moment where he's like, oh, you know, he. I'm looking at it right now. He's like, you're, you're a cowardly one, Red, calling out to Jason. Sending in one so small, I'll make her pay for that. And he runs at Kaya. And Kaya gives him the greatest looking smackdown that you could ask for. It is beautiful. I think about this page probably once a day. I love the framing of this. It's so anime. It's so... God, it's so beautiful. And that brings me to the art in this. The phenomenal art by several different artists here. Uh, Cena Grace, Danielle DiNicuolo, and Francesco Mortarino um, just absolutely crush it. It is a wonderful evolution of the artist team that was brought on for Shattered Grid and how well it worked having those dual creative teams to tell two sides of the same story. And you get a much more anime-focused story with the Mighty Morphin portion, where you get a much more classic Power Rangers, uh, also, you know, Saturday morning cartoon style story with the go-go series and it's weird because i ended up swapping i think if you cast your mind back to the uh shattered grid episode i talked about how much more i loved go-go than mighty morphin this one it switched i have to admit uh and maybe it's because of the focus on the omega rangers team and them you know, developing all of their, you know, X-Men out in space searching for other mutants kind of deal with their own Cerebro and all this. But I really, really appreciated the uh, the big swings that the story takes with those characters. Like in the second arc, I believe, we get to see a James Bond-style infiltration into this high-roller function where the omega rangers have to go in and find the uh the empowered person 
at this galactic summit of crime bosses and different uh, warrior races that are there to war profiteer, basically. And so it's really cool watching the different genres and the different um, parallel narratives that are going on. Uh, We also, while this is all going on, on Earth, Zed is recruiting this Dane character who absolutely bodies the entire Ranger team before needing to be taken out and at least momentarily run off by a uh, still developing new team and it's cool we get also the uh, the war bunny saga which i think is still hilarious uh matt shows back up it's really cool i i it's it's a gift in having two separate uh two separate books telling one linear intertwined story and it just works it's one of those um non-linear storytelling devices that makes reading it and rereading it much more enriched because you understand certain things on a reread that you may not have picked up on before and all of the you know cryptic foreshadowing from the emissary about you know earth earth will meet with fire and like all of this very cryptic sounding uh very cryptic sounding bullshit is just it's fun and having the foreshadowing knowing that one of the rangers will turn and there will be a united threat that threatens not just the rangers but all the galaxy and that they will eventually have to um have to unite with the earthbound rangers and team up to face a foe that they cannot defeat on their own it's just classic power ranger storytelling in the best way and with a little bit of you know know, a little little dash of superhero comics a little dash of anime and it just works all of the characters get their own arcs which is really fun kim gets to deal with the okay i will say kim a lot of Kim's stuff centers around Tommy, which is unfortunate, but we do see her grappling with this feeling of abandonment after, you know, her three friends just went up, picked up everything and left to go across the ocean to go to this peace conference where they have literally heard nothing about. Uh, we get to see Billy making some choices and making some deals that he might not have made under different circumstances. I already talked about the new trio coming in and the old trio that just left. And Tommy struggling with becoming a leader. There's a great moment where uh, it looks like Dane is going to completely demolish the Power Rangers a second time after having already completely demolished them once. And our heroes, our Omega Rangers, are like, we don't know how to solve this. Like, we can't just leave them. And so there's this... Man, just thinking about it just gets me super hyped. Because we see Dane, you know, he gets giantized as they do. And he's taking out the Zords and he's about to strike the killing blow when all of a sudden... Four Omega Zords 
drop out of the sky. And it's the coolest little, some folks are born made to wave the flag. Like, it's this great cavalry moment that I love seeing in my comics. And when they are able to overwhelm Dane and he has to leave, it's this awkward moment of now, why were the Omega Rangers there? Because they're supposed to be a secret. And Tommy and Jason, unbeknownst to Tommy, have this great conversation about leadership and what it means to be a leader. And Tommy talks about like our, our leader just up and left and left me with this responsibility. And I don't think I'm ready for it. And Jason who, you know, never takes his helmet off. So as not to reveal his identity, basically tells him like, you were chosen for a reason. You were given this task because he knew you could do it and you need to believe in yourself, which ends up biting them later on when the team does find out who the Omega Rangers are. And that brings a lot of tension. Uh, in the Go-Go story, we see Tommy getting the powers of the White Ranger, just as Zed becomes, you know, a problem. And I don't know, it's it's really cool. Like I said, the intertwining stories does a lot to uh, accentuate how dire some of the situations are and again in the background we have this underlying story of the corruption of kaya who is overwhelmed by the knowledge of lord dracon and what tommy oliver could possibly become and so she ends up for quote-unquote the greater good recruits garrison vox and lets out a lot of the more dangerous members of the empowered and ends up striking down jason it is one of the hardest hits translated into a comic that i've ever seen uh kaya like i said is the mvp here for the arc that she goes on for the action the fights that she's that she participates in it's it is the kaya show through and through and I absolutely love the reasoning because it sounds terrible, but from her point of view, from a certain point of view, it makes complete sense. Some of the things she does later, like letting out Garrison Vox and teaming up with some of the more, let's just say, icky members of the uh, of the Empowered who they do end up, I believe, calling the Anointed. It's, you know, it's not as defensible, we'll say, but I really enjoy watching her descent into maybe not villainy, but into this, you know, righteous, the self-righteous path of having to commit this, these atrocities for quote unquote, the necessary evil. And it's, it's just cool storytelling. And it culminates in this all-out war where the Omega Rangers team up with the Power Rangers to battle Kaya and the Anointed. Uh, we get reappearances by the Ranger Slayer, which is always welcome, as well as the Solar Rangers, which is so cool. Um, the Solar Rangers are a lot to explain, and I'm not going to because that is in the Beyond the Grid story, which maybe, if you're interested, I will cover. Let me know if you are interested and you want to... You want me to cover the Beyond the Grid story? I really enjoy it. It's not, I don't think, as good 
maybe as shattered grid or necessary evil but i really really enjoy it mostly for the cast that's involved but we do see in this final battle uh kaya and vox have teamed up with dane and they've got their anointed and then all the rangers are teaming up and again it becomes this gigantic ranger throwdown while in the midst of all this unlike shattered grid it is not a completely united front when it comes to the rangers tommy and the other earthbound rangers feel incredibly betrayed by jason trini and zach lying to them about this whole ordeal and so when they're brought in it's not exactly all hunky-dory with everybody we get this really emotionally charged sparring match between jason and tommy where tommy feels incredibly bitter and angry at jason and i think a lot of that comes from the idea that he feels like oh you just gave this to me off of a lie what else are you lying about you know, not believing that Jason really believes in him as a leader, but, you know, placing him there as a stopgap for him. And Jason trying to come to grips with the fact that being a Power Ranger doesn't just mean protecting the Earth. And so it's a lot of, again, well-intentioned yet conflicting character motivations. And, you know, bringing in all of the... Uh, Bringing in all of that really does help to ratchet up the drama. And again, accentuated by incredible art with wonderful storytelling, great fist pumping moments that bring me to my feet and jump me out of my chair almost as much as Shattered Grid does. Uh, the big finale, we get to see more Zords than we've seen previously. We get to see uh, creative uses of power sets and uh, zord combinations and we get this great final confrontation between uh trini and kaya who we see grow in friendship and trini being the one that really recruits kaya to become an omega ranger with them it's a wonderful story about power corrupting and about how good intentions can pave a road of ill endings and at the end of it all it comes down to belief and it comes down to doing what's right rather than what's easy and that's something that i love about these stories they teach us these lessons and they give us these incredible uh personal introspective journeys alongside all of the bombast and all of the spectacle at the end of the day it's about people doing what they believe is right regardless of whether it is right and it's just really freaking cool and by the end of the story you get the conclusion of the kaya threat the new trio finally prove themselves as rangers and they're able to take their place properly as members of the power rangers while the omega rangers resolve to make sure that the galaxy at large stays safe and so when the story concludes everybody is on to their next chapter it's not a story that resets everything like shattered grid does everybody remembers what happens here everybody participated and so we get to see the ramifications of this wrap up both books gogo wraps up with the 
Omega Rangers established and the new trio recruited. And that finishes off that book and leads into the Mighty Morphin portion. Whereas the Mighty Morphin portion, once the story ends and they have subdued Kaya and Vox and they are off onto the rest of their mission, um, culminates in something else because we get the, uh, oof, man, we get the Mighty Morphin uh, book. The Mighty Morphin book does a, a shift following the events of Necessary Evil. Because at the conclusion of Necessary Evil, Dracon shows back up. I'm not going to get into that because that's post-Necessary Evil stuff. But that book wraps up with that arc. And we get to see as, the, as both books end the birth of new books. Where there's Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers. And both of those books once again feature different creative teams and different... Uh, character team focus. It, it, it's like the X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue stories, which are interconnected but telling their own narratives. And that is honestly up to where I've read in the Power Rangers books. I have been waiting for the books to more or less wrap up or to get far enough that I could start them. And with the excitement around uh, the 30th anniversary, with revisiting Necessary Evil, you know I got that itch again. So I'll probably be diving into Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers in earnest to find out the next chapter of what happens to my wonderful Power Rangers. But one thing that after reading both of these stories... The Power Rangers will always hold a special place in my heart. And 30 years on, as the stories continue to grow and evolve, we get to have amazing stories like this, like Shattered Grid, like Beyond the Grid, and like whatever stories I'm looking forward to in Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers. And watching this continued through line of found family learning to find their place in this wide galaxy morphin grid multiverse it brings me back to why i love these stories in the first place they're about characters trying to do their best and trying to learn more about themselves along the way and it's stories that brought me to the dance they're stories that got me invested in the Power Rangers as a kid and once again got me invested in them as an adult and as I am staring down the 30th anniversary of the Power Rangers and knowing that right now as I'm recording this we are now the same age Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and I are the exact same age even though I am slightly older just slightly by like six months seven months whatever it's comforting to know that just like my journey, the Power Rangers adventures will go, go once and always. (laughs) 
that is right. It is time for a wild card weekly review, uh, which is really funny because um, this is supposed to be the segment of our show where I review something weekly, and I'm supposed to be reviewing the final season of The Flash like I thought I would be last week. Except, apparently, The Flash is on break. <laughs> I guess uh, Flash is on break until the end of this month, so you will be getting a wildcard weekly review this week and next week. This week, I'm taking the time to review something that I have been watching recently and something that I wanted to chat about, and that is Attack on Titan, because I have been watching it for the first time, um, and it's been interesting. <laughs> uh, I think the last uh, week... Wad card weekly review we did for an anime was um was my hero academia and folks uh attack on titan is no my hero academia let me tell you something um and that's not because they're you know it's it's not like a quality thing because they're both fantastic they're just very different shows <laughs> um so a little context here i have been watching the show for the last like month or so just kind of off and on um it started with me just kind of putting it on the background while I was doing things and progressively I've been getting more and more into the show I am currently I think eight or nine episodes into season four so this will be basically a review more or less of the first three seasons which vary so wildly in theme and direction that it is like getting whiplash watching this show <laughs> but it's fun and I've really been enjoying it and it's been a thing that I have been curious about for a while I've heard of it before obviously you know it's a very I think popular uh, piece of media and it's been I mean taking the world by storm for years and so it's something that I tried a long time ago I watched I think the first two episodes and it didn't click with me at the time and I got a recommendation from a friend to watch it to try it again recently and I actually have been really enjoying it like I said it started off with me just kind of putting it on in the background and then things started happening right things started happening that would foreshadow other things and the show is very good about foreshadowing things or giving you hints that if you watch it you know a second or even third time you'll catch things that you didn't catch before and I had to start paying attention, and that's when I really started getting invested in the show. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware of the show or really what it's about, Attack on Titan, very simply, is uh, these medieval kids trying to fight giant-ass, man-eating people. And that's exactly what I thought the show was going to be. And then it takes a drastic turn in the third season. But if you haven't watched it yet, I don't want to give that huge spoiler. But the main setting is they are on this island called Parody. And there are three like main walls surrounding what is supposed to be the last remains of civilization. And these walls are surrounded by these things called titans. And these titans are basically gigantic humanoid creatures that love eating people. And the walls were constructed to keep them out. However, 
at the very beginning of the show in season one, we're going to be talking about season one first, obviously. At the very beginning of the show, our three main characters, Aaron, Mikasa, and uh, Armin, are shocked when a gigantic colossal titan appears outside of the, I believe it's Walmaria, I think. Yes, I'm going to say yes. Walmaria and demolishes the wall while also letting a bunch of other titans in, culminating in the death of Aaron's mom. And his dad is nowhere to be found. We're not sure exactly what happened to him. But what this does is it sets Aaron, Mikasa, and Armin on this path where they want to become scouts. There's a whole thing. There's like different branches, but the scouts are basically the people who go beyond the walls to try and explore. They fight off titans and they get these really cool things called ODM gear, which they're able to like sling around like they're uh, steel bending cops from Legend of Korra. It is awesome. They are so freaking cool. And the first season is largely about Aaron and friends trying to fight against these titans. The colossal titan is this gigantic, obviously colossal creature that is so much larger than other titans. But there are also other specialized titans that pop up throughout the first season. The armored titan, which is the coolest titan, uh, is basically this just like decked out armored version that can run and bulldoze anything in its path. There's also the female titan, which is just terrifying. Uh, she is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in an anime, and I have watched quite a lot. But I was really excited when we got to, I think it was like episode three or four, because the first two or, you know, the first two or three episodes are mainly about Eren, Mikasa, and Armin learning to be scouts, right? It's them training, it's them creating bonds with their friends, all of them training up, we're going to be scouts, we're going to fight Titans, it's going to be great. And then in episode, I think, four, Colossal Titan comes back. Armored Titan busts through another wall. And it is all out mayhem. And all of Eren's friends are killed. Uh, Mikasa, Armin, and Eren are the only ones that survive. And it just blatantly goes into horrific uh, violence from there. Uh, we get viewpoints from different characters we learn about the structure not just of the walls but also like the political structure what does it mean to be part of this society it's very like medieval style they've got walls they've got cannons they've got very rudimentary rifles um but they've developed their own technology with the odm gear and all this stuff and it's fascinating getting into how quickly the show moves because it does they are moving from set piece to set piece from plot to plot there's no breathing room even when an episode starts and you think it's going to be a filler episode jokes on you it's not a filler episode and you are shocked to find out someone important has died or someone important it has more importance or someone ends up being not who you think they are and the first season more or less wraps up with the reveal of the armored titan, or not the armored titan, the female titan, how there's a spy in their midst, and you get this climactic battle uh, with Eren, who can also turn into a titan himself, called the Attack Titan. Uh, it's, it's light spoilers, all this stuff happens at the beginning of the first season. And then season two, 
is just ridiculous. It starts off with, oh yeah, while all this is going on, there's another group of scouts going off and doing things at the exact same time. Uh, the second season is much shorter than the first season. I think the first season's like 25 episodes. The second season is like 12. And it is just all action. Season two is action. It is intrigue. It is suspense. It is horror. It is incredible. And I love it. I love the second season. Uh, this is when you really get endeared to characters like um, like Ervin, Commander Ervin, who I will go to the wall for any time, who I will follow into the depths of hell. Commander Ervin could command me to jump off a bridge, and I would do so happily. Uh, also, Levi, who is just Levi fucking Ackerman, is just the most incredibly skilled character I've ever seen. Um, it's just really cool. And there's this, again, underlying mystery. Certain things are popping up. There is a character who I will refer to as Sasquatch. And I do not like Sasquatch. Uh, if you have watched the show, you know what I'm talking about. I do not like Sasquatch. Sasquatch is my mortal enemy. And I will fight him until the end of time. But the second season is all about furthering the mystery, giving us a little bit more of the uh, titans that are roaming around, and furthering this underlying unease of things not seeming how they actually are. And in season three, it all comes to a head. Everything falls apart. We get this incredible military coup d'etat. We get action aplenty. We get this political intrigue and it is fascinating to watch the second half i think is better than the first half of season three um season the first half of season three is almost all political jockeying and very um it's slower than what we're we've come to expect and not in the sense that it's like oh this is all filler because it's all important and it's all building blocks but Season 3 has a lot of stuff it has to set up at the beginning for everything to kind of pay off at the end of it. And by the time you get to the end of Season 3, holy shit. All of the mysteries are... Almost all the mysteries are solved. Uh, You get this incredible, you know, last stand at the Alamo uh, kind of moment when the scouts try to retake... Aaron's hometown of Shikanshima, which was demolished in the first episode, and they've never returned there. But there's an underlying mystery that they have to solve by going back there. And characters die, sacrifices are made, it's tragic, um, but it's incredible. And at the end of the third season, it is now a completely different show. And so it's, it's one of those things that I was not prepared for to be as absolutely mind-boggling as it as it ended up being and in that respect i have to i i gotta give it its props it's one of those pieces of media where you go in expecting something and it ends up being something completely different and even though because i came in with a certain amount of like oh i've heard about this i've heard about this but nothing prepares you for the actual reveals, the spins, the, you know, roller coaster ride that is these first three seasons. And I will say, as I've watched the first, you know, few episodes of season four, I don't love it as much. I think the first three seasons are much stronger so far. I haven't finished the fourth season, and apparently no one has because they keep 
tacking on more shit to the fourth season. They keep doing like, uh, the final season, uh, the final season part two, uh, the final season part three, uh, the final season, the final chapters. So who knows when this thing's going to end, but as it stands, Attack on Titan is an incredible piece of media, probably a top 10 anime of all time for me. Uh, I'd have to really get into the nitty gritty of it, but I have been really enjoying it. I'm a sucker for lore. I'm a sucker for world building. Y'all know this. And so I, I gotta absolutely recommend it. If you're not squeamish, if you are able to handle a lot of blood, a lot of gore, a lot of brutality in your anime, give this a shot even though you probably already have, if you are a fan of those things, as I am incredibly late to the party for enjoying something like this. So either way, really love the first three seasons. I think out of the three, season two is probably my favorite, though the back half, like the final third of season three is probably the best storytelling out of all the entire show, but I love the frenetic pace of season two. It only having 12 episodes to tell its story, I think really enhances the drama and the tension and the storytelling is peak. There is no filler. It's all killer, no filler. And it is amazing, amazing storytelling. So that is the wildcard weekly review for this week. Next week, we will have one more wildcard weekly review and then it is back to the flash season nine in starting in may uh you will probably be able to uh guess and predict what next week's wildcard weekly review will be but i won't announce it just in case uh so i will see you right back here for next week's wildcard weekly review but for now let's roll right on into this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of April 19th, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you pick up your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And... It really came down to two books by the, by written by the same team, but ultimately I chose Guardians of the Galaxy number one, written by the hive mind of Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by the incredible Kev Walker. Just a wonderful first chapter of this story. Guardians are finally getting the space western treatment and I could not be happier. It's it's just a great old comic book, and it might not be the last time we're talking about it, so stay tuned for that. But uh, that's last week's books. This week, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive into this list. For things first, we've got Deceased War of the Undead Gods number eight. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison and Lucas Meyer. This is it. This is the conclusion of not just Deceased War of Undead Gods, but also the Deceased Saga. Deceased War of Undead Gods was touted as the conclusion of the Deceased epic, and so this is it. This is the end. Win, lose, or draw. The story of Deceased ends here, so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and find out what it's going on. 
The epic saga that began over three years ago reaches its final cataclysmic conclusion. As worlds burn, heroes fall. Can hope prevail? Deceased ends here. Yeah, pretty much tells you what exactly what I just said. Um, it's going to be a hell of a finale if all goes well. Next up, we have a double dose of Super Bucks. First up, we've got a brand new number one, this being Superboy, the man of tomorrow, number one. This is written by Cy Spurrier and Kenny Porter with art by Marco Santucci and Janoy Lindsay. And this is Connor Kent, Con L, getting his first solo in God knows how long. I think probably since, what, New 52 when we got Con in the Tron suit? I miss that Tron suit. I know it's not the most popular, but I I liked it. Either way, Khan is finally getting his own series. Uh, this was part of the, I think, second Deceased Round Robin tournament, which is dumb because it's not really a Round Robin tournament. It's a single elimination. I wish they would just learn the definition of a Round Robin so they would stop calling it that. I am really interested to see what this book is going to be about because... We got the creative team. I mean, Khan, obviously the cover looks like he's going on a road trip. Uh, I'm excited to find out. And if it's, you know, I feel like it's trying to almost ape the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow deal. Um, not that it is. I'm not going to say definitively that it is or is not. But I think it's interesting, especially as we know that the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow story is now going to be uh, more mainstream than ever. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Chapter 1. Light at the End of Forever. Connor Kent takes center stage. After the events of Dark Crisis, Connor feels out of place with the rest of the hero community. He doesn't fit in with the rest of the Superman family, and the rest of the world doesn't really need him with so many supers in Metropolis. He doesn't want to rely on Tim, Cassie, and Bart, so Connor looks to the stars as a place he might be able to call his own and carve out his own path. But what lurks in the great unknown? Are bravado and swagger enough to help Superboy find his new calling? This is the 2022 Round Robin winner, picked by you, the fans. Except it's not Round Robin, it's single elimination. I just don't understand who decided, oh, let's call it Round Robin, even though it's not really a Round Robin tournament. Why not just call it DC Survival of the Fittest or some innocuous name where they can actually call it what it is if they wanted it to be a round robin tournament they would have had a point system and it would have been run like the g1 from new japan pro wrestling i am really interested in this concept because i don't think this was the story that was initially posited when the whole tournament thing was going on i'm not going to say it because it's driving me nuts um because this was not the status quo when the, uh, you know, the, the current status quo of the Superbooks was not the status quo when this book was initially pitched. And so I'm interested to see what's changed. I'm interested to see what's carried over. And honestly, I'm just glad Khan's got another book. He deserves it. He's been around for a really long time. He's been back in the main continuity for a while. So I'm excited to see what he's got up his sleeve, his several sleeves. Next up. In our super double feature, we have Superman number three. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Jamal Campbell, and I have been loving this book. Uh, Superman has been fantastic from the get. The first two issues were 
incredible. And I'm really digging this Parasite story. I'm really digging the story that they've got with Clark and Lex trying to figure out this weird partnership they've got going, the super core of it all, and now this threat of the many parasites that are infecting the citizens of Metropolis. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and see what we've got in store for the night of the parasite. Chapter 3. Superman's loved ones are transformed into ravenous parasites. If Superman wants to find Parasite Zero before its influence spreads to the whole world, he must take Lex up on his offer to work together, even if it means using another of Superman's enemies as bait. Ooh, I like the sound of that. I mean, I don't like the sound of that. That's a terrible problem to have. But I'm really, really excited to see what they've got. Um, Again, this is, it feels like not quite your granddaddy Superman, but it feels timeless and it feels classic. And I'm really, really, really stoked about where the super books are going. And I can't wait to pick this up, genuinely. Next up, we have Hallow's Eve number two. This is written by Erica Schultz with art by Michael Dowling. And I feel like it, it's been a while, right? Am I crazy? Because I, th- I thought the first issue came out a while ago. It just feels very long ago that the first issue came out. Maybe it's not, but I'm really, really stoked to pick the second issue up, issue up because I loved the first issue. Uh, giving us all of the Fright Night kookiness that you know you'd expect to see in like a werewolf by night situation. And uh, speaking of werewolves, let's get into this synopsis. Like most of her life, every step forward for Hallow's Eve leads to five steps back. Her mystical mask gives her abilities like you've never seen, but power on this level attracts all kinds of people hunting it down. Don't miss the coolest new character in comics in the book that will shock you and keep you guessing. So that's more a a synopsis for the series rather than the issue, but it's going to be... Eve versus a werewolf, and I'm really excited about that. So what more could you ask for? Next up, we have Flash, number 797. This is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Tom Dernick and Serge Acuna. And I, I just, I, I just, I love this book. I love this book. I really, really do. I think it's a fantastic story. Um, obviously, we are hot off the uh, hot off the heels of uh, one minute war and we are starting the really sad uh, continuing trudge to the end of Jeremy Adams time on the flash uh, I just I think again, I've talked about it. I won't belabor the point here. I think that Jeremy getting kicked off of the Flash, even though I am interested in what they're doing with the character going forward, sucks. I really just, I wish he got more time on this because you could tell that he had more stories to tell. And I I don't know. I don't know. I'm bitter. But I am here to enjoy the ride while it lasts. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Misadventures in Babysitting. It's a super speed misadventure in babysitting, as Kid Flash watches Jay and Irie, the Flash's children. When a sleepover goes awry, Ace has to bring back the twins, Maxine, and a few new friends from across time and space. 
So the cover also says multiversal field trip. So I'm sure that Irie and Jay are going to get into some shenanigans that Ace is inevitably going to have to pull them out of. Can't wait to pick this up. Really looking forward to this issue. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man, number 24. This is written by Zeb Wells with art by John Romita Jr. And we more or less know what Peter did. Sort of. We're supposed, I'm sure we're going to get more info on this, but we are continuing the story that brought us to the beginning of this run with Peter teaming up with Norman Osborn for the first time. Excitement is through the roof. I know that this story isn't everybody's cup of tea. I get it. I know this run has the comics community divided right down the middle, but I've been enjoying it so far, so I'm interested to f- follow the ride and see where it goes. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Witness what brought Peter Parker and Norman Osborn together. Your opinion of who the hero is and who the villain is may end up at least blurred. Yeah, it's giving us, you know, a lot of vague uh, postulations, but I'm still really interested, so I'll be picking this up. Next up, we have Nightwing, number 103. This is written, of course, by Tom Taylor with art by Eduardo Ponsica, and we also have uh, some guest stuff. Uh, C.S. Picot on writing duties with Travis Moore also joining up. Uh, I am curious why we've got the, uh, the additional creative team, but let's find out. Rise of the Underworld, part three of four, slash Night at the Circus, part three. That's right. We have the we have the backup. We have the backup, of course. Who is the grinning man who's always grinning no matter what he's doing, even when he's murdering people? And what kind of deal did he make with Neron? Nightwing and the Titans better figure that out soon before they lose one of their team members. Then, in the backup, Nightwing continues his lessons, mentoring John Kent, a.k.a. Superman. And it's time... And this time, it's about using your detective skills instead of your fists. I really love that we're getting John teaming up with not just Tim, but also Dick. I love that he's getting guidance from them. I love that he's teaming up with them. Just makes me real happy. And obviously, this grinning man thing is terrifying. So I can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have She-Hulk number 12. This is written by Rainbow Roll with art by Joe Quinones and Andre Genelette. And She-Hulk's so good, man. She-Hulk rules. This whole book has been awesome wonderful this also happens to be the 175th she-hulk issue it's a landmark issue for jennifer walters and i'm really really excited to pick it up let's go ahead and see what they've got in store for us for this landmark 175th issue She-Hulk reaches the landmark 175th issue. There we go. Not only does She-Hulk find herself face-to-face with the brand new villain Scoundrel, but she also puts her whole law practice in danger. All this, plus bonus stories that will have people talking. So I don't know if this is a giant-sized or an oversized issue, but I am really excited to see what the story has for us. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking it up is Batman Superman World's Finest number 14. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. I love this book. You know I love this book. I love everything about it from the art to the writing to the characters to the costumes. This book is made just for me and I love it so much. 
But this is continuing on the Who Killed Simon Stagg story. Let's dive into the synopsis. Elementary, Chapter 2, Manhunt. Bruce Wayne, a murderer? Nice. Bruce Wayne's billionaire rival Simon Stagg is dead, and Bruce Wayne is suspect number one. With their friends' freedom and reputation on the line, Superman, Robin, and Metamorpho, the Element Man, join forces to exonerate the Dark Knight's alter ego the best way they can, by finding Stag's real killer before they strike again. Yeah, it's just old-school comic book storytelling. I love it. I'm excited. I love the inclusion of Metamorpho. I love that World's Finest has been giving us these looks at characters and at um, scenarios that harken back to the old school Silver Age, but give them that slick modern era polish. And we just found out that World's Finest is now getting an additional comic, World's Finest Teen Titans, which I'm very excited about. Still written by Mark Wade, but this time with art by Emanuela Lupacino, which I adore. Really excited to pick that up. Make sure you do pick that up when it comes out. Um, I wish I'd known. I wish I'd known. It would have been on the top five list. would have been under the, uh, the unreleased and most anticipated. But either way, I'm loving this book. I'm sure if you are reading it that you're loving it too. But go pick this up this week. And that'll do it. For this week's comic book countdown, to recap, we've got Deceased, War of the Ended Gods number 8, Superboy, The Man of Tomorrow number 1, Superman number 3, Hallow's Eve number 2, The Flash number 797, The Amazing Spider-Man number 24, Nightwing number 103, She-Hulk number 12, Batman Superman World's Finest number 14 rounds out the list. Lots of great books to pick up this week. You've got something literally for everybody, so make sure you get to your comic book shop and pick up some amazing comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read it. I know I'm going to regret that. And (laughs) as long as you give me the five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Fantastic 14, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A Lock and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken 4656, and now joining the likes of. The other fine folks who gave their reviews is Director Hall, who writes the best comics podcast? Probably. 
If you haven't listened to this show, you should. It is a great intro to comics, their worlds, their creators, and the behind the scenes of why and how comic stories are told the way they are. Eric and his co-hosts for the book club have unique and personal insights and funny tangents that are sometimes just as interesting, if not more so, than the topic being covered that week. It's also a very positive show, so if you are already a fan of comics and are looking for an outlet to share that love, you are in the right place. Thank you, Director Hall, for turning our Fantastic 14 into an amazing Fantasy 15! Uh, If you would like to have your reviews read here on the show where I am forced to read them word for word, make sure you do that five stars rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. If you want to be part of the Geek Explained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read your email here on the show, on the Wednesday show, at least. Uh, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, and trust me, there's a lot of it, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter for as long as Twitter is around, and as I continue to try and be more literate when it comes to Instagram, it's at Pod at P-O-D, be there or be square. And speaking of being square, not a circle, every single Friday is the Geeksplained Book Club, where I and my co-hosts, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are currently going through every single issue of every single volume of Grant Morrison's Batman. This week, we are covering the final act, basically, of the Dick Grayson, Batman, and Damian Wayne Robin saga as we tackle issues 17 through 25 of the Batman and Robin series entitled Dark Knight versus White Knight. This is going to be concluding their story as a team. So sad, gone too soon, but I'm really excited to chat with Malcolm and Jacob about this because uh, there's some interesting stuff in there. It's going to be a good time. So join us on Friday and every Friday for the Geek Explained Book Club. Gotham Fridays are a real thing, so be there or be square, not a circle. But that's going to do it for this week. I want to say happy 30th anniversary to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I cannot wait to watch Power Rangers once and always. I hope you enjoyed this look at Necessary Evil. It's definitely, I think, a worthy successor to Shattered Grid. Maybe not as iconic a story, but I love it for all the reasons I already mentioned, and I really, really do recommend it if you did read Shattered Grid and you loved it. This is an amazing follow-up to all the ideas that were originally in that story. But that does it for this week, next week. I'm very excited about this. Uh, We are going to be closing out the month of April with our latest... Creator interview! Our first creator interview of Volume 6. Malcolm and I sat down with the hive mind, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly to talk Captain America Cold War and Guardians of the Galaxy. We had a wonderful conversation that I cannot wait to share with you. So tune in for that next week, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. 